2: Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
3: listening to Tech Bytes on heritageradionetwork.org, live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Jennifer Leizzi, and I'm here every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to talk about the intersection of technology and food. You can click in and listen live or on demand on the heritageradionetwork.org, or you can get Tech Bytes to go and download the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Before we get started today, I want to introduce everyone who's in studio so you can match names to voices. First up, the person responsible for putting the show out on the web is Jack Inslee, our engineer and also the network's executive producer and the host of Full Service Radio on Thursday nights at 730, which is a really good time. Hey, Jack. Hello. My guest in studio today is Mike Lee. He is the founder and CEO of Studio Industries, which is a really interesting design and innovation company that works around food. So, Mike, thank you for joining us on another Snowy Monday in Bushwick.
1: Happy to be on. Thank you for having me.
3: So at the top of each show, I like to do something called Appetizer, which is a call out to a favorite or interesting app. So, Mike, you're going to have a couple minutes to think about what your current favorite app is, what your favorite app discovery is. Okay. My app this week is Flavor, F-L-A-V-O-U-R. It's a restaurant guide that basically aggregates recommendations from multiple sources like food critics, local publications, industry experts, and then it also adds some sort of uh, weight to social media data, most visited sites, popular establishments, things like that. It came out last year at the end of the year, at the end of 2014, in various cities like San Francisco, Chicago, Miami, and L.A. And the reason I'm calling this out is it's very lovely, it's beautiful to look at, um, simple to use, but the piece that I'm particularly interested in is they are supporting the food bank for New York City and supporting food banks in other cities that they have guides for. So, for example, when Flavor launched in Houston, they worked and partnered with the Houston Food Bank so that when Flavor reached 10,000 downloads, the Houston Food Bank would get a donation of $1,000. So in New York City, with the New York edition, it has just about under 1,000 restaurants. When they reach 10,000 new downloads, Flavor's going to donate 10,000 meals to the Food Bank of New York City. The Food Bank of New York City is one of my personal favorite charities. They're the umbrella organization for all the food banks in the five boroughs. And they do a lot of great work uh, in terms of helping not only to feed people, but they also offer a lot of services like food pantry, cooking lessons. And at this time of year, they also have some really wonderful tax services to help people file their taxes and and get their income tax returns and things like that. So it's kind of a great two for one, you get a beautiful, fun new app, and you get to build some good karma and help feed someone in need so flavor you can go to the website getflavor.com or get it on itunes i'm sorry to say it is not on android and the thing to remember is that it's flavor f-l-a-v-o-u-r so kind of a little um, fancy on the spelling
1: <laughs> how european <laughs>
3: yes very tra chic. chic love it love it so, Mike, what's your favorite app right now? So, uh,
1: yeah, I've been talking to these guys, um, and they have a really cool app called Umium. Uh Y o u m i a a e m.
3: Okay, one more time. One more time. Umium. I'm going to write it down.
1: I'm literally looking at my phone. Um, that's the only tricky part about this one. But um, so, Yoomiam, and I'll tell you what it is in a second when I get the spelling of it. Y o u m. I-A-M, Umium. So these guys are out of France, and uh, Umium is a tool that helps people compose recipes and share them a little bit easier. Now that might seem somewhat mundane, just saying that out loud, but they've really done a really great job with the user interface of that, and I think the end result is, Um, Anyone from a food blogger to a big kind of, you know, epicurious type, you know, producer of a lot of recipes can get recipes entered in there and cooking instructions in a very standardized way. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting autocompletes and, you know, just makes it easier to enter in the beauty of having that, you know, why is that, you know, interesting is that if you, you know, there's so many different ways to write recipes today. And, you know, a cup of onion can be communicated in so many different ways. And there's just too many ways to describe it. So Yumium helps you actually have structured data out of your recipes. And that's interesting, because I think if you have structured, interesting data around that, you can do a lot more with it, because you're not spending your time trying to clean up the 52,000 ways that people have talked about a chopped onion, you know, um, it's sort of like, you know, in a coding language if there was 4,600 ways to, like, make a word bold on on in HTML. You know, that doesn't really make any sense. So Umeam's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity in kind of uh, recipe data in terms of structuring it and cleaning it up. Um, so, you know, that's sort of my nerdy little contribution. <laughs> Check them out, Umeam.
3: All right. Well, I will definitely take a look at that cool. later. And I, I, I might call you back on that, and we'll see how it works because there's a part of recipes and writing recipes where that personal non-standardized point of view is where the richness and the heart is in many instances. So from one point of view, if you know, I work at a restaurant or in a fast casual restaurant and I'm pumping through lots and lots of recipes, I probably want something standardized so that everybody can understand it and we can be efficient and effective. But if I'm, you know capturing my grandmother's recipes and i'm she's you know recounting them to me or she's writing them down there's going to be a part of what she says about chopping that onion that's going to be unique and and add that special sauce. I oh
1: think. no, totally. And they get that too. So there's room for that. It's not meant to replace the entire narrative. It's just to make the part of, because um, you can kind of write a recipe out and embed it within a larger kind of narrative about all the things that you're talking about. Um, it just makes some of the me- more mechanical parts of you know the measurements and things like that much more usable, much more scalable. So you know I can read the story of your grandmother, how she chops the onions, but I know kind of how much she needs and I can easily kind of do multiplication on the whole recipe to kind of adapt it to 40 people or 10 people or stuff like that so they're trying to do best of both worlds Yeah.
3: okay best of both worlds yeah, you we don't don't like wanna, that yeah. Yeah. we like best you of both worlds you don't want to leave out
1: that narrative I agree Yep.
3: perfect so Jack do you have an app you'd like to throw into the pot today
2: I do quickly um, cover I don't know if you've heard of this one So, um, basically, you know, you you don't have to sign a check or pay at the end of the restaurant. You put your credit card information in. Some restaurants participate. You put in the app that you're dining at that restaurant. Tell your waiter or waitress, I'm paying with cover. And then when your meal's over, that's it. You just leave. And it emails you a receipt. And I tried it for the first time. Um, What was it? Friday at Vix, which used to be Five Points over on Great Jones. It was really awesome. I, and it actually I think it kind of made me order more food too, you know.
3: Like, <laughs> Cuz you didn't actually see the check.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, oh, Sorbet, put it on. Sure, why not.
3: <laughs> so uh, it was great. The app was great or the restaurant was great? Both.
2: I was actually really impressed with Vix, um especially for the price point. It was really really good Italian food and um the app was was great. I like it. I've I've always kind of wondered why we didn't do that. You know, it's just so easy with your phone.
3: Well, the interesting thing about this oh, is we've we've done <laughs> favorite apps two weeks in a row and two weeks in a row Jack has apps that are financial transactions (laughs) that's true (laughs) so we'll see what he comes up with next week but I I see a little bit of a pattern developing
2: (laughs) next week is going to be debt management app
1: (laughs) it's called TurboTax Uh, you can write off all of these dining experiences yeah research cool (laughs)
3: Mike is the founder and CEO of a company called Studio Industries, and it's billed as a food design and innovation agency, and I will describe what he does, and then I will have him explain what he does. They apply design thinking to food products and experiences, and for many people listening, I'm going to guess that when you hear the term design thinking, the thing that comes to mind is drawing and art and visual design so right at the beginning I think it's important to make a differentiation in that design thinking here is a very specific way of solving problems and in essence design thinking puts the personal experience and the person at the center of the equation and you look at how people use things and experience things and use that information to try and solve the problem in creative or perhaps non-traditional ways. So creative thinking, if people are interested in taking a look at that, I would say that probably the the lighthouse to this style of thinking is probably David and Tom Kelly, who are brothers. Mm-hmm. And they have a design agency called IDEO and are founders of the design school at Stanford mm-hmm. and they also have a very interesting book called Creative Confidence which is a nice read for people as well if they're interested in pursuing that so what does that mean design thinking and putting people at the center of the problem I'll, I'll give a little bit of a, give my shot at making a little bit of an analogy so if we're looking for a better way to slice bread a, a very automatic thing to look at would be what kind of bread is it what kind of knife am I using am I using a machine am I making big slices or small slices is it a big loaf of bread is it a lot of little loaves of bread and we would focus on the bread and the slicing of the bread in design thinking you would instead look at the person the person who's going to use the slices or actually do the slicing so are they using a hand knife Is it lots of them? Should it be easy? Should it be simple? What kind of slices are they going to use? Do they need it for a sandwich? Is it for cooking? Is it for this? Is it for that? So you would look at the person and their experience, and then based on that feedback, start to create a solution for making a better way to slice bread. So is that?
1: Yeah. No, I think design thinking, I think, really boils down to a few key things and you know I'm oversimplifying, you know, for the sake of brevity, but I think user centered is, is probably the biggest part of it. It's it's putting the people first and then making the technology or the business kind of try to bend around that versus the other way around. A lot of times people in companies and I think you know the bigger the company the the, the more easy it is to, to kind of fall into this trap is to say, you know, we have a giant machine that makes this widget. So let's make this widget and let's design a marketing campaign to try to get the user to fall in love with this widget. You know versus the other way around it should sort of be what does this user you know um well, what do we think this user would love, and then let's make that machine to make the widget that that we user would love now you know I know that's kind of you know it's the same process, but I think the order in which you do it is really important um and I think it really changes uh you know how you how you build something and how you put something out there in the world
3: so your company uses this process to innovate food products and food experiences, yeah so. Take it from there. Yeah, no. So, um, you, know, you know, what does that mean? I mean, companies like
1: IDEO, they, you know, they do stuff in food, and, you know, design thinking uh, has definitely been applied to a lot of different industries, you know, consumer products, you know, things like the Swiffer and all that stuff. You know, that, that all kind of comes out of the same process. Um, you know, we wanted to take that and, and just double down on you know, kind of packaged food industry. Um, not because I think it, it's the it 's an industry that um, has received relatively the least amount of this kind of attention versus other things like say consumer electronics you know there 's no shortage of really smart, brilliant designers I think working on the next evolution of our smartphones and things like that um, but you know there 's not as many people kind of going in and saying like, "How can we make a better bag of chips or does the world even need another bag of chips? Is it something else? You know, what is what is kind of leading there? So
3: chip companies definitely chip think company. the world needs better and more bags of so chips. So sure.
1: fair enough. But this is this is um, this is kind of our big bet: is we're trying to come to companies like that that are maybe known for doing this, a chip company that has a machine that just makes chips, and saying like, okay, well, here's where your customer and your user are going, and it might be going a little bit away from what you're used to making. So how do you deal with that, right? I think companies are starting to see that there you know, is more than one answer than the thing that just sits in their factory because, because this is the, the output of all this food media and everything and food being such a hot topic in the past decade is that I think at the end of the day, the consumer is just becoming more discriminating. Everyone has more of an opinion about food. And I think it's going to force companies, big and small, to kind of just be better at forming their offering around, around what those people want. Um, there used to be that you just had one kind of potato chip or one kind of bag of flour that you could buy, and that was really it. You know, there's not a lot of room for the user experience. Now there's thousands and hundreds, and I think there's a lot more opportunities to kind of design something that fits what a person wants.
3: The what a person wants is the thing that has really evolved back you know at the beginning of packaged goods when there were no packaged goods it was if you want potato chips you have to make them at home and then somebody made them and sold them so that was amazing and for a long time i think in the packaged goods world it was simply a question of do i like it can i afford it Mm -hmm. and is it in my store and if the product answered those three questions it was probably going into my shopping cart and today there are layers and layers of questions consumers ask about their products, which start with, do I like it? Does it taste good? Mm-hmm. But then goes into all of those yeah. eco friendly people-friendly, dietary, health, yeah. conscious, all those layers and layers and layers of consideration that didn't exist before, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so this is why I think I wanna focus more design attention to the world of packaged foods. I mean I don't get me wrong, I, I'm a huge proponent of kind of just natural real foods, cooking at home and things like that. That I think is always the best. But you know, the food industry is such a big industry that, you know, I, I don't wanna just completely shut it out of our world for the time being. I just want to actually try to help it and get some of the same smart thinking that other industries have had the luxury of had and apply it to the packaged food world. I think packaged food is just it's become a it's a very new new kind of industry you know we've just in the mid you know century of of, you know 1950s and 1940s that's really when it kind of took off and became a thing you know let's put stuff in boxes and sell it to people i think we're kind of
3: put those boxes in an airplane or on a truck and send them around the world
1: (laughs) yeah and so I, i almost see that as like a very kind of blunt first draft of what that thing looks like you know and there's so many things that we can make better about that and i think we're starting to get into the second draft of what that could look like you know how do we make them um more sustainable and healthy for not just the people but for the planet can you do sustainable food in a package format at scale that's a huge question and i don't know the answer to that i don't know but i think this is why i kind of wanted to focus on that as the question that keeps me up at night is is you know can we apply design to try to think about that and and make it better
3: So we'll have you continue to think about that during our short break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how you actually bring those ideas to fruition, both practically today and in the future.
1: Love it.
2: And today's break song is called Mobile by Knife Show. This is Tech Bites. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com.
3: If you've just tuned in and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes on the Heritage Radio Network.org. We are talking with Mike Lee of Studio Industries, who is using design thinking to innovate food and the packaged food business. So it's a kind of very intellectual and philosophical kind of business that you're in. But if you could give a real simple example of a project that you've worked on, and if you can't name names, that's okay, Mm -hmm. of how you've applied the design thinking to improving Mm -hmm. a package good. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a really good uh, example of that is actually, you know, we can actually talk about a lot with names is um, we worked with Food Tech Connect over the summer on a food uh, hackathon around food um, in the dining space. So the idea was basically uh, we had partners in the dining world and they proposed challenges and about 100 or 200 hackers kind of got there for a weekend and tried to prototype up solutions of, you know, trying to solve the myriad of problems that the dining world has.
3: So before you get a little before you get too far Far. hackers and hackathon yeah. so when i hear hackers i think yeah. of basically computer geeks <laughs> in yeah. front of laptops yeah. all in Broderick a room in the 80s war games. exactly yeah. <laughs> you know and writing <laughs> code and solving coding problems to create some sort of digital something yeah. or other and yeah. a hackathon would be Piling them all into a room over a period of time, fueling them with, like, Mountain Dew and Slim Jims, and then, you know, <laughs> yeah. seeing if they can come out the other side having solved the problem. That's
1: that's basically the rough outline, yeah. It's basically <laughs> using pressure and the excitement of an event and to kind of get people to solve problems pretty so quickly. So what kind
3: of hackers are you using in it's- this food and hospitality. Well, I mean a area. lot of them
1: a lot of them are the same that you just talked about. So so, so there are those people, but I think tech
3: that, programming people. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, totally. Um that are, you know, pa- you know, passionate about applying that that kind of skill set to, to food, right? So that's that's definitely a part of it. I think the part that we brought in was uh, we, you know, we there's also like just other designers, designers like me, like that either do visual design or just design thinking and something like that. They're there too. And then there's a ton of people from the food industry, you know, people that maybe aren't designers or, or or technologists, but they just know a lot about the restaurant industry, so that's that's useful too.
3: So that's a, a chef, a baker, yes, a yes. writer, restaurant a wine owner, person, exactly. a bartender, exactly.
1: So all three of those groups coming together, I think, is where the value is in this event that they that they put together. And then we were there to kind of come and say, okay, you know. Your mind probably gravitates toward that image you first said when you think about a hackathon, the coders and all that stuff sitting there, you know, kind of hacking away at stuff. We want to come with a different approach. You're not here to actually talk about technology. You're not here to hack technology. You're here to improve somebody's, like, life story, you know? And, and so for us, that's just our kind of, you know, salacious way of saying, you know, bringing user-centered design back into the process. Everybody thinks design or hacking is about the technology or the, the aesthetic of the thing that you're actually trying to make. It's really about like, how are you affecting somebody's you know, experience with that thing, even though that experience might be very fleeting, like a cup of coffee only lasts you like five minutes, but I think there's, there's a beginning, middle, and end to that story. And I think we took that approach with the hackers and the hackathon to say, put away the code, put away your pencils for now. Just think about the person you're trying to improve their life and think about what are the high points and the low points in their experience of running a restaurant, eating a restaurant.
3: What was one of the questions or one of the problems you were solving?
1: So one of the ones I thought was really awesome and it turned out great was uh, in the, uh, b- the B&B group, Batali Bastianich group, restaurant group here. Um, they, That's Mario
3: Batali yep. and Joe Bastianich. Yep, so um, They have a couple little restaurants in town like Del Posto and <laughs> Babo. Um, they participate in a... Italian restaurant, one uh, food emporium, Wonderland yeah. called Italy.
1: Yeah, you know, just little cute holes in the walls, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but uh, you know, they they had a challenge around food safety, and they took the point of view from a person who operates a restaurant. So, if you're a person who operates a restaurant the food safety process, meaning trying to understand the myriad of regulations and all of these things, you, and, and then turning it into actionable steps of what you have to do to make sure your restaurant or supermarket or jam company abides by them is completely Byzantine and it's just insanely complex, unnecessarily complex, and it's different from city to city. So if you're a chef and you grew up and you, you did you open three restaurants here in New York City, it's like, oh, I got the hang of this. You move to San Francisco or LA and it's like you almost have to learn a lot of it over again. The, uh, the winner created this app that was basically, they, they affectionately called it the TurboTax for food safety. And it was really, again, instead of like putting all the facts and the rules up there on the Internet and say, you figure this out, it was more of like kind of a Q&A format of like, okay, let's start with you, the user. Are you a food cart? Are you a restaurant owner? Are you a fast food restaurant owner? Do you make potato chips in your backyard or whatever, you know? And then as such, it kind of flipped it around and like kind of had this Q&A that basically at the end of it, you would get spit out the right um, set of here are the rules that you have to abide by and here's the seven things that you have to make sure you have to do. Your sink's got to be like this. You got to have like this. You got to go apply for this permit, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, is it is it any was it any technological feat of coding to, you know, to do that? You know, it's fairly straightforward, I would argue. But I think the value is that they just put the person first. Nobody ever put the person first when we we're designing food safety rules. They just said, these are the rules, and we're just going to post them on a website, and you guys go figure it out.
3: They put the, the person first in the form of the consumer to make sure they try and don't get sick. But they didn't put the people who have to operate it and make it happen yes. first in the process. Yeah,
1: in this case, the user is the, the, the manager right. or the restaurant or whoever's in charge of that stuff. Um, that sounds
3: like a pretty cool thing. Did that ever it, get made or prototyped or It definitely
1: got prototyped. Yeah, I got prototyped by the end. I mean it was it was uh, they did a demo and uh, they won that category. Um, actually.
3: So then do you take it to you would take something like that to civic leaders and say, Hey New York City .dot uh, gov. We I have this so. neat thing. I hope so. What I do you think? The,
1: uh, I think I think that's great. I mean, that's the beauty of the hackathons, right? Is because like strangers kind of get into a room and they come up with this idea and they get to you know nothing's fully commercially ready, obviously, but it's a spark that kind of hopefully says, "Hmm, let's let's keep in touch and like keep this thing going" because I think we could do what you just said. Yeah.
3: Everyone who is alive and walking around has some interaction with food and. Most people have an interaction with packaged goods and supermarkets. All these things sound um, like they're taking place with, you know, amongst elite groups of people and behind closed doors. Is, Is there any way for the average person who has a point of view about their experience to contribute their point of view or become involved in these kinds of things?
1: To help design food?
3: to help design food, to say, here's my issue, here's an idea that I had, if you're just a regular person.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, there's a number of different ways. I mean, there's, there's a lot more conversation around this kind of thing lately. There's a lot more kind of food conferences. One that we're doing is in Chicago in April called the Food Leaders Summit. I think the website is just that, the Food Leaders Summit. Um, and, you know, that is, is focused on innovation marketing and R&D in the food industry. And it's really talking, trying to talk about, you know, how do we kind of evolve that model to, from from where it is today to where we can go tomorrow? Um, I'm doing a workshop called um, you know, the future of of the grocery store, um, and it's 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 related to this other project we have called the future market, and we're basically trying to get people to innovate their food better today by having them think almost ridiculously far out into the future, 50 years, and then kind of create this vision of of what they see as the perfect kind of opportunity or or product or thing, and then reverse engineering that from then till today. So, um, you know, even the fact that that can make it on a conference agenda that people will pay for today, I think is really refreshing because it shows that... You know the food industry has its pluses and minuses, but it at least I think is trying to find thought leadership and new opinions you know to to kind of think a little bit differently about how food goes. So you know I think that and the the future market project that's that's those are two ways that people can kind of you know um you know get out in that conversation and and talk to other people about this kind of thing.
3: I think if you look around the internet at a lot of if you googled. Tech Meetup or food innovation or food design i 've seen an increasing number of conferences and get togethers and seminars and panels, and people really just starting to talk about it. I think you spoke at something just last week as well
1: yeah, uh, it was a constant co- uh, conference called bitten. Um, it was a great conference um, It was on Friday, and I talked about the future market, um, but you know bitten had a really amazing roster of kind of speakers. Um, that that day, and uh, it ranged from uh, you know two guys, two guys that I, I really thought were, were amazing. Um, you know, one company called Modern Meadow. They do cultured meat. Um, cultured so, meat. Yes. What does that mean? So they take, uh, let's say, you want to make a cultured steak. Um, they take essentially a biopsy of of, of a cow, um, and they take the cellular material, and they actually they culture it in in, in a culture medium in a broth, in a Petri dish, and they can actually build sheets of this all the way up to, they can build up, you know, an actual piece of meat that Test is- tube T-bone. But yeah, test tube diva, <laughs> right? Well, test so tube strip steak. Yeah, but so the interesting thing that I think is is they they really go for. They're not trying to replace that kind of Peter Luger porterhouse thing. I think people have such an emotional attachment to it, and it's so insanely complex to actually make that thing that that's not what they're really trying to go for. You know, they're trying to go for you know, um, you know how can we pace, replace a lot of the ground beef that is you know pretty crappy out there and pretty unclean. You know, um, you know if you could do away with that stuff. And, and make it, you know, much more easy to produce, you know, and make it um, much, much cleaner, um, you know, that could be, have a really interesting impact on the world, you know. So they're not trying to say, like, oh, yeah, we're never going to farm cows ever again. You know, it's, it's more of, like, there's a different way to kind of replace a lot of that gross stuff that's out there.
3: Ground beef is a whole is a whole topic and a whole show you could probably do a season on ground beef and hamburger (laughs) oh my
1: gosh yeah no it's crazy but yeah they're right here in brooklyn as well too but uh, yeah they spoke as well and another guy aero farms um you know they're they're in new york new jersey um they uh are um, really pushing the boundaries of kind of hydroponic farming and um increasing the amount of productivity you can get out of a seed a non-gmo seed by doing it in kind of you know structures and, and using led lights and things like that so a lot of cool stuff there
3: really fascinating really really fascinating especially since food is something that's so simple and tactile that there's so much of it today that is driven by you know data and code and all those kinds of things it's really interesting and it's exactly why we have tech bites yeah so i want to thank my guests today Jason Lee from, uh, Mike Lee from Studio Industries. And come back and see us again next Monday on Tech Bytes at the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And if you really loved it, go to iTunes and subscribe to it, download it, and rate it with lots of stars.
2: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.